just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Well, it's the night before Christmas and all through the house. All the rats are scurrying, especially that motherfucker Jim Jordan. (laughs) Don't you just hate it when somebody does any kind of show and it happens to fall on Christmas Eve and they feel that they need to do some kind of adaptation of the night before Christmas, except they try to make it clever to fit their topic. Yeah, I'm not doing that. That's fucking stupid. Plus, we've got a lot of news to talk about. To start things out, earlier today, we had a verdict in the Kim Potter trial. You'll remember, she's former police officer Kim Potter from Brooklyn Center, a suburb of Minneapolis. She shot and killed Dante Wright. Now, the trial's been going on in Minneapolis, much like the Derek Chauvin trial did. And uh, the trial's been going on for a couple of three weeks, maybe. And the jury's been out deliberating for about three or four days. Well, they came back today. Now, there's been a lot of concern as to what's going to happen. The jury asked a bunch of questions, asked to see a bunch of things, and all the super brains out there were saying, oh, it's going to be a hung trial, or she's going to be found innocent. Well, I didn't think that was the case. How could that be the fucking case? There's video of the crime. There's no question about what happened. You can clearly see what happened. And so, and and to be perfectly honest with you, the defense team was shitty. The prosecution team was similar to the team that convicted Derek Chauvin. So how is she going to not get convicted? Well, as I thought, when the verdict came in, it went as follows. On the first charge of first-degree manslaughter, guilty, maximum penalty, 15 years. On the second charge, manslaughter in the second degree, maximum sentence, 10 years. Now, they haven't sentenced her yet. They aren't doing that till January 31st. And the defense team wanted to allow her to get out on bail while waiting for sentencing. They said, this poor woman is a devout Catholic. She wouldn't hurt anybody. She's not a danger to society. She's not a flight risk. (laughs) So then the prosecution team steps up and say, hey, look, the idea of releasing somebody on bond under these circumstances just doesn't happen. It never happens. There's no reason why you would treat this case any different than any other case that would be like this. Oh, and by the way, she no longer lives in Minnesota. So the judge took about two seconds and said, yeah, no, she's going to fucking jail. She's staying there until she's sentenced. Now, as far as her sentence goes, it's hard to say what's going to happen. Now, she has 15 years degree maximum on the manslaughter. Now, because she has no criminal record, chances are she's going to get about seven years there. But what's going to happen with the second-degree manslaughter in the 10 years? Two things they could do. They could run it consecutively or or altogether, meaning running the 10-year term and the 15-year term together. And that would mean she, if she gets the seven years when the sentence comes down, that's all she'll do is seven years. Um, if it's... Uh, 
concurrently altogether, that's what it would be. Now, if it's consecutively, they would add it on to the end of whatever the first charge is. My guess is they're not going to get too crazy with her. They're going to probably run it concurrently, so both sentences will be running side by side, and she might get seven to eight years. Now, a lot of people are saying, well, she should have got more. She should have got murder and all this stuff. you got to understand what the mindset was going into this trial. Here's a police officer. She's allowed to wear a gun. Things got chaotic. She pulled the gun. She shot the guy. Granted, she's guilty of something. Murder was going to be something hard to sell to the jury. You have to understand, when they charge somebody, anybody, especially a police officer, the prosecutors have to decide, what can we sell? What can we get a conviction of? They were never going to get a conviction of murder, whether it was or not. There's just too much to cloud that whole issue. So they said first-degree manslaughter, second-degree manslaughter, because they knew they could sell that. This woman isn't going to get a life sentence as much as a lot of people wish she would, but it just was not going to happen. At that point, if they would have asked too much, like murder, she would have ended up walking. You can't say, okay, I want to get murder charges against this woman, have her found innocent, and then say, whoa, whoa, let's do manslaughter. Now, you can only do it one time. Once she is cleared of a crime, you've got the double jeopardy rule. You can't bring her back and try her for something else. So you have to pick something that you know you can get a conviction from. And that's what they did with first-degree manslaughter, manslaughter in the second degree. And they got a conviction. Now, here's a woman who's a former police officer. She's not only a former police officer, she was a police trainer, a field trainer. In fact, on that day, she was training a trainee cop. It's ironic, isn't it? Here's a woman who's training future police officers, and she ends up shooting somebody illegally, getting charged with manslaughter, getting convicted, and now going to jail. And that's who's training our police officers. Therein lies the problems with our police departments. You've got a, uh, a culture in the police departments. Shoot first, ask questions later, especially if the people are people of color. Then that's not a problem. See, the problem we've seen for decades and decades is that we get all of these mistakes or accidents, or we did it because of this, or we did it because of that, and having cops get off every fucking time. The problem here for Kim Potter was we had video of it. Like I say, once the video is played and you see what happened, there's no question what the outcome should be. It's like with Derek Chauvin. Now, Derek Chauvin could have died on the street, put in the car. If there was no video, they would have said, I don't know, he was taking drugs, so he had an heart attack in the car. Now, there was no way to prove that if there wasn't video. Fortunately, in that case, there was video. And, of course, the police looked like they were trying to cover it up before that video surfaced. The same thing would have happened with Kim Potter. Well, he went for something. I saw something shiny, and I shot him. Oh, okay, I get it. I see where you made the mistake. Okay, you get off. But that can't happen as long as there's videos. And that's why every cop should have um, chest videos our video recorders, so you can see what happens. It's sad that we have to do that, that we can't trust the integrity of our police officers, but clearly in the decades and decades where we've seen abuse 
and uh, brutality and killings that we can't trust our police officers. And why can't we trust our police officers? Well, it's the culture of the police departments. This is a perfect example. Kim Potter, a trainer, training a young cop. What does she do? She loses her shit and shoots a kid for no fucking reason. And she's training the new upcoming police officers. And this is what I've said all along. We don't need to cut back on funding with police officers. We need to make it harder to become a police officer, but make it more appetizing by paying them more money, giving them more benefits, making them more a professional level job. Run them through the paces and make them train on every level from physical to technical to emotional. Push them for 6, 8, 12 months and then test them. And if they pass that, then they can be a police officer. Have a great professional job. Get paid very well. Have benefits. There's no reason in the world if you have a professional police officer that he's getting paid shit or she's getting paid shit. That's ridiculous. It's an important job. They need to be professionals and they need to be paid as such. But they need to be held accountable too. These people, after all the training and all the testing, if they fuck up, well, they are gone. Because, again, we've got a culture in police departments where people just get away with shit. Unions that fight for them and let them do whatever they want. That's what needs to be changed in police departments. Not just get rid of them, not just defund them. We've got to change the culture. Make it a more professional. Make it a more accountable job. And then we'll get better service out of our police departments as opposed to what we see now. I'm a firm believer in that. The whole idea of defunding the police was a stupid idea when they brought it up. It was a stupid way of trying to explain it, and uh, it cost them. We don't need to defund the police. We need to improve the police. We need to make them um, rise to the level of where they should be for the kind of job that they have to do. Not only in the type of people, but in the type of pay and the type of compensation in terms of benefits. That's how you're going to get better police departments. All right. Well, we've got, you can't do a show like this without talking about Donald Trump. And uh, (laughs) Donald Trump never, uh, never fails us. Now, you know that the Select House, House Select Committee has been trying to get a hold of the White House documents from around January 6th from the National Archives. The National Archives says, yeah, cool, here they are. But then Donald Trump doesn't want them released because we know, we know that he knows that he'll be exposed for a lot of criminal activity. And how do we know that? Well, just the 6,000 documents that Mark Meadow handed over For whatever reason, I don't know. That was got to be the stupidest thing I've ever heard. But he did it, and thank God for that. But in just those 6,000 documents, we've seen where a number of people, uh, sitting members of Congress and and, uh, the president himself, were doing some pretty shady things. Almost seditious or treasonous things. Just in those 6,000 documents. So can you imagine when we get all the documents... So, of course, Donald Trump doesn't want you to see the documents, so he wants to stop it, or at the very least, delay it. So he took it to court. A federal court judge said, this is bullshit, no. Slam dunk him and said, you don't win here. Turn over the documents. 
Well, of course, Donald Trump doesn't stop there because now he's at delay level of what he's trying to do, and he tries to appeal it to the appellate court. He does that. He gets to the appellate court in short order, a week or so. They say, yeah, this is bullshit. No, we're not doing this. You lose. So then the next and only step he has left is to appeal it to the Supreme Court. He had two weeks to do it. It's been two weeks later. And, of course, today, yesterday, actually, he uh, appealed it to the Supreme Court. Now, if he loses in the Supreme Court, there's nowhere else to go. Those documents get turned over almost immediately. But there's a lot of people out there that say, oh, Donald Trump will never pay the price. He'll never be held accountable. Well, here's the deal. Here's what you need to understand. This claim that Donald Trump is making in this lawsuit is absolutely ridiculous. In order for it to go, it would require the Supreme Court to look at it, change a law, which they can't do, and then allow Donald Trump to win this deal. That's not going to happen. I don't care if it's Donald Trump. I don't care if he appointed everybody on the Supreme Court. It's not going to happen. Actually, what should happen is that when it goes to the Supreme Court, they look at it and they go, well, this is bullshit. We're not even going to hear it. And if they don't hear it, it's a done deal. It's over for Donald Trump. Now, again, people will say, well, he's got a six to three advantage, conservative to liberals. Well, this isn't a conservative or liberal issue. This is about insurrection. This is about overthrowing our government. And even though he was seated, or the or these three Supreme Court uh, justices were seated by Donald Trump, keep in mind one thing. These are lifetime jobs. Donald Trump can't do jack shit to him anymore. And the Supreme Court is under a lot of scrutiny right now about their partisanship. This is an easy call for them. If they decide to take it on and they listen to it and somehow let Donald Trump win, the heat is going to be huge, and they have no upside from this. They can't gain anything from Donald Trump. All they can do is look stupid here. In all seriousness, I think it's going to go to the Supreme Court, and hopefully quickly they'll say, no, we can't do this. This lawsuit is absolutely ridiculous. Here's what you need to understand about the Supreme Court. Every year... They get about 10,000 filings, 10,000 filings to the Supreme Court. You know how many cases they actually hear? Important cases? You know how many? 65 to 70. Out of 10,000 filings, they only listen to 65 to 70 filings. They can't possibly, they can't possibly constitute a good reason for listening to this complaint. This is a fucking joke of a filing. See, here's the problem with Donald Trump. Donald Trump's run out of lawyers. All the good lawyers he hasn't paid have taken a powder. They don't want to work with this motherfucker, so here's what happens. He's got a bunch of low-level, stupid-ass lawyers who have never gone to the Supreme Court making these filings that are fucking stupid, and the Supreme Court would look just as stupid if they took it on and considered it, especially when there's no basis for law. And that's been proven by the previous judges who said this is fucking ridiculous. So... Once the Supreme Court takes a look at it, 
I honestly believe what they're going to say is, no, we're not going to hear this. That's not going to be one of the 65 out of 10,000 that we're going to listen to. Donald Trump doesn't scare us because, well, we've already got the gig, and it's a lifetime gig, and Donald Trump is probably going down anyway. There is absolutely no advantage for us to help Donald Trump. Donald Trump will think that these people owe him owe him big and they'll come through for him. Well, that's the stupidity in Donald Trump. Nobody's going to ruin their career at this point for that dumb shit. Plenty of Republicans did and already have. They don't even know that they've destroyed their career, but that's coming. And it'll come after the Supreme Court says, yeah, go ahead, get the documents. That's what's going to happen. I've told you this all along the way. When it went to the federal court, I said, there's no way he can win. When it went to the appellate court, there's no way it could win. And now when it goes to the Supreme Court, there's no way it's even going to be heard. Granted, there is some stickiness to this whole thing because it's a former president. But the fact is, the the, the, the lawsuit is so absolutely ridiculous. It would be embarrassing for the Supreme Court to actually listen to it. So if you think that's going to be a problem and they're going to say, yes, Donald Trump can hide this stuff, two things to remember. Even if they don't get that stuff, they have enough to burn half the Republicans and Donald Trump anyway. Those documents will just set it in uh, concrete so that it'll be easier to get done. But there's no way they're not going to get these things. These aren't like personal um These aren't like personal documents from Donald Trump. These are White House documents that should be available. I mean, they're in the fucking National Archives. Anybody should be able to see them. So to release these to the House of Representatives, the House Select Committee, that's not that crazy. It happens all the time. This is just Donald Trump playing out some fucking delay tactic, and it's not going to work. And the unfortunate thing with Donald Trump is the courts are getting hip to him trying to delay. So now they're reacting faster, as you saw with this case and you're seeing with other cases, too. You know, Mike Flynn, we talked about him. He wanted to file a lawsuit to not release his cell phone information. Well, he filed the lawsuit with the court. Next day, they said, nah, yeah, you can't do that. He was counting on month or two months or six months delay before they even got to it. But that's not what the courts are doing anymore. They're jumping on this shit and they're shutting it down because they're tired of getting played. And even though the Supreme Court tends to be slow, let's remember something. If you think the Supreme Court can't just shut down a ridiculous claim, Remember all the election claims that they heard. Every state that Donald Trump lost, it went to the Supreme Court saying there's election fraud. And every time the Supreme Court said, yeah, we're not hearing it. So this is a common practice with the Supreme Court, especially in situations like this. They did it multiple times to Donald Trump in the election cases, the election fraud cases. They will do it here, too. They aren't going to take a risk of looking stupid by taking this on. You see, that's where Donald Trump is. And this is where narcissists are. They will lie, bully, complain, cry, whine, claim to be a victim, and do everything they can delay a situation. Narcissists have a hard time facing up to things. So even 
though they can't win, they will delay it and delay it because the worst thing that can happen is that somebody says they're wrong and there's no retribution they can give. The Supreme Court can say, no, you're done. He's going to scream at the Supreme Court, but it's going to do him no good because Donald Trump has no power over them. And that's the thing. That's how Donald Trump has won all his life. He's been a bully. He had the power over somebody, either through business, through money, through firing, whatever it was. That was his power. And even though he was stupid and even though he was wrong, he could make himself look right because he had the power. Well, Donald Trump does not have the power anymore. He has no control over everybody, so the wheels are coming off the bus. As I say, when they're wrong... They will bully and gaslight and try to get around it. A lot of times that works. But in every narcissist's life, we get to this point where you can no longer bully. You can no longer gaslight because you're all out of gas. And people start seeing what's happening. You go into a spiral and you ultimately crash. And that's what we're looking at right now. Between January 6th, between the Manhattan District, the Attorney General down in Georgia, all the shit that's going on in Washington, D.C., Donald Trump is in a very definite spiral. He's spiraling out of control, and the crash is coming. That's inevitable. You can say he won't ever be accountable. You won't, you'll say that nobody will ever touch him because he's the Teflon Don. Well, you're wrong. Because every narcissist ends up like this. They all end up crashing and dying. Maybe not literally speaking, but dying. And it's going to kill Donald Trump. I don't know if he'll ever see jail time, but he will be absolutely ruined. And he'll be absolutely exposed for the fool and the idiot and the criminal he is. And that is probably the worst punishment you can give to a narcissist. When everybody knows you're a fool, when everybody knows you're an idiot, knows you're a criminal, and they avoid you, or they ridicule you, and there's nothing you can do about it because you don't have money or power anymore to lord it over them. That is the worst punishment for a narcissist. When that happens to Donald Trump, he'll go into hiding. You won't hear from him. He'll pass away from some illness later on, and people will have forgotten about him. Well, they won't forget about Donald Trump because of the disaster of his presidency and all that he's done negatively to this country. But no one will give a shit. No one will care because even the people that are following him will finally figure out what's going on. All the information will be exposed and everybody will step away from Donald Trump because now he's a liability. That's what these people do. They stick with them, they stick with them, and then when they can't stick with them, they jump ship, and they aren't very loyal. And we know how Donald Trump values loyalty. Well, he's coming closer and closer to have nobody being loyal to him, including his own family. He'll try to throw them under the bus, they will try to throw him under the bus, and it will be an absolute shit show. In regards to the uh, Supreme Court... And this case, again, this is what you can expect. It'll go to the Supreme Court. They'll look at it. They'll see all the downside to them even taking it up. And they'll say, no, we don't have time to take this up. Then it will be done. Then all the documents will be sent to the House Select Committee. His delay tactics are over. And this narcissist has finally crashed. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. 
Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. All right. Remember when everybody was crying about the supply chain? All the problems we're having with the supply chain. And all the Republicans are saying there'll be bare shelves for Christmas. Joe Biden is stealing Christmas from America. My God, what an animal. (laughs) Republicans will jump on any fucking bandwagon, try to blame anybody for anything. 800,000 people are dying. Omicron is running through the Republicans like a fucking wildfire. And somehow that's Joe Biden's fault. Fact of the matter is, Joe Biden did everything he could. Joe Biden did everything he could to distribute vaccines. But what he didn't count on was the fact that 40% of this country would decide not to take the vaccine. And that's where Omicron comes. It doesn't come from Joe Biden or the vaccination. Um, or the vaccinated, I should say. It comes from the unvaccinated because the virus goes to them, it percolates around with them, and then it finally changes and becomes something else. It becomes Delta, then it becomes Omicron. Omicron comes from one place, the unvaccinated. And COVID comes from one place, the inactivity, the negligence by Donald Trump. This whole mess, this whole almost three years going on three years that we have had uh, this COVID pandemic can be attributed to Donald Trump and then his buddies, the unvaccinated. Now, I kind of diverted there. I was talking about the supply chain. Republicans like to complain about all the things Democrats are doing and how they were responsible for this supply chain crisis. When it had nothing to do with the Democrats, fact of the matter is it's more attributed to Donald Trump and the Republicans. Why did we have this supply chain crisis? Well, we have a supply chain crisis every time we have a big event in this country. You know, like the previous pandemic in 1918. It wasn't quite as prevalent because, you know, this was 100 years ago, so things weren't quite as active as they are now. But after World War II, you know, there were all kinds of rationing and things like that. The supply chain was disrupted during that time because people couldn't buy as much. They were trying to ration things. So everything slowed down. And when that World War II ended, it had to ramp up again. And this is the same thing with the COVID pandemic. When things started coming back and people started buying more, that supply chain had already been slowed down going into the pandemic and through the pandemic. So everything was slowed down that all of a sudden people are buying things. And now it has to ramp up. But this is a big process, so it takes some time. Hence, the supply chain crisis. We're running on the same program that we were during the pandemic. Now people are buying again, and you can't just make this whole chain reaction speed up to speed in 60 seconds. It takes some time, and that's what we were looking at. 
But coming into this Christmas holiday, of course, the Republicans were pointing out that Joe Biden is Scrooge and that there is nothing on the shelves and no one will have Christmas and food will be scarce and the poor little kids would have no toys. Well, I Christmas shopped this year. I got grandkids and grandnieces and nephews buying all kinds of toys. You know what? I didn't find one supply chain issue, and I'm guessing you didn't either. There was only one thing I ran into that was a problem. It was one specific toy for my granddaughter. It was a very popular toy. And, of course, you know, my grand, granddaughter's 20 months old, going to be two years. I'm the coolest grandfather ever, so I'm going to get her the best fucking thing. That's what I'm going to do. That's my job. Well, that toy happened to be pretty popular. So I just went online, found it, bought it, had it sent to me, got it to me in about two weeks. took longer than I expected, but it got here. But there was no supply chain crisis. Isn't that weird? Now, as much as they want to blame Joe Biden for the supply chain crisis, what they have to say now is because there was no supply chain crisis. I mean, it's still a problem. There are issues they have to deal with. Don't, don't. Don't get me wrong. We got to fix a lot of things. We still have things slower. We still have uh, boats sitting out on Long Beach Harbor. But that crisis that the Republicans threatened us with never really happened. And why didn't it happen? Well, it was because of Joe Biden. See, Joe Biden had an actual problem. And instead of saying, no, that's just a hoax, it's not happening, we're not doing anything like Donald Trump did with COVID, he took some action. He did some things. He did a lot of things in order to make it more productive. He allowed the docks to be open 24 hours more. He put fines on boats that were just sitting in the, in the harbor. And things started moving. Maybe not up to speed of what it was prior to the pandemic, but that can be expected. But Joe Biden actually did something. He sat behind the Resolute desk and said, all right, we've got to do some fucking things. Let's get it done. And he did. And so Christmas comes and Joe Biden's not Scrooge and there is no crisis and everybody gets their toys and everybody gets their food for Christmas. So are the Republicans going to step up and say, oh, that Joe Biden, he surprised us. Yeah, he did a good job. Fuck now, they're not. They're going to move on to something else that they want to complain about. They will never own up to Joe Biden or the Democrats doing anything positive. I mean, let's be honest. The Republicans are simply obstructionists. Take a look at the four years under Donald Trump. Take a look at the time they controlled the Senate and the House under Obama. Take a look at what they're doing now. Everything they're doing is about doing nothing. The only thing they actually accomplished was that tax cut to the rich for $2 trillion. And somehow that passed without a problem. There was no concern about the budget or the debt. There was no concern about the future and our kids. How are they going to pay for that? Everything else is a problem, of course, because it helps the middle class. So the point is, is, when you hear all these things on the news, oh, my God, there's a crisis, because that's how the media reports it. <clears throat> they see a crisis, they figure ratings, and they're going to scream and cry about it. Oh, what are we going to do? What's going to happen? How is this going to work? Well, it fucking worked. 
Joe Biden did the things he needed to do and continues to do things to fix the supply chain because there's more that needs to be done. But you don't see people on TV going, oh, thank God. Thank God that crisis that was coming in didn't happen. No, there were no problems. Christmas was saved that you don't see him talking about that because that doesn't get ratings. When you're talking about the media, all they want to hear is about the negative stuff, so all of you freak out and tune in and listen closely and cry and whine and get upset because they know if they touch your emotions, they're going to get your attention. And that's why that's all you hear. But they can't hide this very well because we walk into a store, walk into a store later today if they're still open uh, on Christmas Eve, There's plenty of shit on the shelves. The doors are open. You want to get a last-minute toy for your grandkid? It's fucking there. And that's thanks to Joe Biden. And that's in spite of the fucking Republicans who made you try to believe that there was a crisis and that Joe Biden was the villain here. Well, Joe Biden isn't the villain. In fact, he should be thanked for what he did in order to straighten out this crisis. A crisis he didn't start. In fact, Donald Trump and the Republicans did by ignoring the pandemic and letting it get out of control. They caused the supply chain problem. And like everything else, Joe Biden comes in. He's in office for a year and he's already fixing a lot of things that Donald Trump and the Republicans have fucked up. That's why I always get a kick out of Republicans. They'll say to me, what has Joe Biden ever done? Well, first of all, he's cleaning up the fucking mess you idiots left. And that's pretty clear. It's always a stupid question like that. They know the answer, but they think you don't. They think I'm stupid, and I'm insulted by that. So when they say, what did Joe Biden do? I feel like those are fighting words. Okay, you want to fucking know? Sit down, because we're going to be here a while. And so anyway, everybody was all concerned about the supply chain and all upset. We go to bed at night worrying, oh, I'll never be able to get toys for my grandkids. But here's the deal. It didn't happen. This is one of the things I tell my family and people I know. I see people doing this all the time. There's something they're worried about. And it may not be something that was that big a deal or even something to worry about. But for a week or two weeks, every day, they worry about this thing. They worry about this thing. And then when it comes to pass and it's not a problem... They say, oh, my God, what a relief. What a relief. It didn't happen. And I say, yeah, but you just wasted two weeks every day stressing yourself out, worrying about something that didn't happen. It's almost like people enjoy putting themselves in that stressful state. They enjoy it, they enjoy suffering through it, and then when they get to the point where they finally get relief, oh, they're so happy, they're so grateful. Here's what I would say to you. If you're in a situation and you're worried about something, take a realistic look at it. Don't just jump into fear right away. Take a realistic look at it. And if you can avoid being stressed out and fearful for two weeks leading up to something that doesn't happen, maybe it would be better if you avoided that. Stop getting sucked into fear. Stop getting sucked into bullshit. Look closely at things and decide. And here's the thing. Um, I've talked to people before and say, how come you don't worry about anything? And I don't. I don't stress out about shit. And here's why. Because of history. And they'll say, what do you mean by history? I said, well, I'm 61 years old. 
I've gone through every tragedy, every traumatic experience you could possibly go through in one's life. I've seen a lot of things. I've been stressed out. I've struggled, and I've had pain, and I've had sorrow, just like everybody else has. I'm nothing special. I'm like everybody else. But you know what? At 61 years old, no matter how tragic a thing I was put up against, I'm still fucking here. I'm doing fine. I'm comfortable. I'm good. I'm happy. So by not worrying about it leading up to this point, I didn't waste a bunch of days being sad or crying or upset or worried or anything like that. I get to lead a better life as long as I'm not stressing out and worrying every day. Now, I understand not everybody can just turn it on and off. Sometimes it's chemicals. Sometimes it's whatever. I'm not saying how you should feel because I can't tell you that and I don't know how everybody's feelings works. But I will tell you this. When people try to trigger those feelings, when people try to bullshit you, think twice about it. Look at it more closely and then decide what you're going to do. If you're going to be fearful or stressed out or whatever, I can't do anything about that, but don't let these motherfuckers trigger you into making you feel that way because, you see, they know they can do that and they know they can control you by doing that. (sighs) If you're depressed, if you have those kinds of issues, there, you know, of course, are medication and and, uh, consultations and things things like that, and you should take that. Because that's a real thing. I remember I had a grandmother who suffered with depression. We were talking about it one time, and I said the most, um, the the absolute wrong thing to say to her, because I just didn't understand, not because I was trying to be mean. I said, well, Grandma, well, just don't be sad anymore. At that point in my life, I was pretty young. I didn't realize that's a ridiculous statement. It wasn't like she had control over it. I had control over my emotions, but I'm a different person. I got a different mindset, and I don't have depression. So I had no business suggesting that to her, but I did. And she sat me down. She wasn't mad, and she explained. This isn't something I can control. I get that. I understand that. But what you can control is who you listen to and how you take that information. If you get people that are going to stress you out or upset you because of bullshit and because of something that's not necessarily true, it's just them trying to pull at your heartstrings, don't listen to that shit. Do not listen to that shit. Life is tough enough. If you suffer through depression, it's tough enough. You don't need these people fucking adding to it. All right, anyway. Enough about my psychological advice. Don't ever take advice from me fully because I don't know what I'm talking about half the time. I can talk my ass off, but I'm no expert. Okay, let's talk about uh, the DOJ, Merrick Garland. Now, there's a lot of people worrying about Merrick Garland and whether he's doing anything with regards to January 6th and all these revelations coming out about sedition or treason or whatever you want to call it, certainly insurrection. And everybody's wondering, is Merrick Garland doing anything about this? Because clearly these are crimes. Clearly these are things the DOJ should have to deal with. Now, some people think that Merrick Garland and the DOJ is just waiting till January 6th is over, and then they're going to go after him. But that doesn't make any sense. We don't know when January 6th investigation is going to be over, and if they wait too long, it's going to be too late. Now, see, Merrick Garland is in a situation kind of a, between a rock and a hard place because he's a reasonable, 
uh, principled guy. And typically in the DOJ, they try to avoid any political processes. They tried to avoid being involved in politics, and here's the problem. You uh, charge and prosecute Mark Meadows or Donald Trump. That gives the impression that it's political. And generally, a DOJ and a attorney general will try to avoid that because they, they want to be above politics, even though that wasn't the case when Donald Trump was in and William Barr was AG. It was all about fucking politics, and that's why it was run so horribly. But Merrick Garland's a different guy, and he doesn't want to be involved in politics. But here's the problem. That may be good on a historical sense. Over time, when situations have come out, it's better for the DOJ to stay out of politics. But this time, these instances are things that we've never seen before. History isn't a comparison because we've never seen it before. Now, Merrick Garland might say, well, we've got this uh, 2022 election coming up, and I don't want to be responsible for changing the outcome of that, so that's why I'm laying back. But here's the problem for Merrick Garland. If Merrick Garland steps in and does his jobs and makes people accountable and charges people and convicts people, it may change the 2022 election. It may. But if he does nothing, that too may change the 2022 election. You see, he's caught between a rock and a hard place. He doesn't really have a choice. He's going to affect politics. That's not Merrick Garland's fault. That's the Republicans and Donald Trump's fault for what they did. Everything they did was so egregious. Now they have to follow up and prove what they always say, that no one is above the law, even the president. So now Merrick Garland, against his better judgment, has to decide that he's going to charge and maybe convict the chief of staff, Mark Meadows, a sitting member of Congress, or the president, former president himself. Like I say, that goes against his better judgment. He wouldn't do that under normal circumstances, but frankly, these aren't normal circumstances. These are very egregious circumstances. And by not acting, that's going to not only affect the next election, but the next election after that, and the way our country runs completely. It's going to affect the future of democracy. So you see, Merrick Garland is in a tough situation. Now, people are saying, well, Merrick Garland isn't doing anything right now. He's not doing anything at all. Well, we don't know that for sure. Because with cases like these involving people at these high levels, chances are there may be investigations going on that we don't know about. They don't want to release information on it. They don't want to screw up possible investigations. Now, that's possible. We don't know if it's true because they're not telling us, and they're not telling us because they don't want to tell us. Or Merrick Garland could be sitting on his hands waiting and not making a decision. The problem is, is if he does that and he does nothing about it, he's going to impact this country, the entire country, and our governmental system negatively. That's going to play out very badly for his legacy, and he doesn't want that. He's going to get a lot of pressure from the House of Representatives. He's going to get a lot of pressure from the rest of the country. He probably won't get pressure from the president, though, because unlike Donald Trump, Joe Biden knows it's best for him to stay out of all DOJ business. You need that separation. You need to maintain that integrity, because once a president starts pressuring an AG, 
our system has gone to shit. We've got one branch of the government pressing, pressing and pressuring another branch of the government. And that's not how our government works. So Joe Biden will stay out of it. Now, that said, if there are problems and he's not doing what he's supposed to do, he could theoretically get fired and put somebody else in there. That's possible. Because the president does have that power. He can't tell him what to do, but he can fire him. So we'll see what happens with that. There's a lot of information coming out right now. And a lot of it is really horrific. As I say, things we've never seen before. Things like this have never been exposed. When Watergate happened, and trust me, I was young. I was 12, 13 years old, and I was watching, maybe 14 years old. I was watching this on television. It was very intriguing. It was very dramatic and traumatic to watch this. But I knew when I was watching it when I was young that it was historical, that it was big. So I needed to see it. I needed to watch it. And I did. And at the time, it seemed very horrific that the president would actually do these sorts of things, lie and work out a situation where a group of his cronies would break into the Democratic headquarters and steal something. Oh, my God, that's horrific. And that's how it was. That's how it felt back in the 70s when this was going on. Of course, he found out that he was going to ultimately get impeached by both the Democrats and the Republicans. The Republicans went to him and said, look, man, you got to fucking quit because you're in trouble. And he did. He resigned. That was unprecedented. The president had never resigned. And honestly, I thought that might happen to Donald Trump in one of the impeachments, that it was so egregious, so out there, so open, that the Republicans would step up and say, Don, look, nice try, but you got to go. They didn't do it, though. They just stood next to Donald Trump and lied and stole and cheated just like Donald Trump did. So that tells you the state of the fucked up condition of our political process, especially with the Republicans. But if you compare what went on during Watergate to what's going on now, there is absolutely no comparison, no comparison at all. Everything is so far worse now, so much more egregious, so much more dangerous to our political process. Now, you remember when Richard Nixon resigned... He cut a deal with Gerald Ford, who was the VP, who became president, and and Gerald Ford then pardoned Richard Nixon because of him thinking that it would put the country through pain and trauma and all that sort of stuff, which was bullshit, but that was the deal he cut with Richard Nixon. So they saved the country from all of that by not prosecuting Richard Nixon. Now, this is a much different situation. Now, Donald Trump is out of office. He ran his term. He was impeached twice. And it wasn't that he lied to Congress. It wasn't that he lied to a grand jury. It wasn't that he tried to do some dirty tricks by sneaking somebody into the Democratic headquarters. This motherfucker actually went out of his way to overturn an election and overthrow the government. He incited it. He planned it. He facilitated the whole fucking thing. You see where the danger is now. It was nothing back when Richard Nixon was being um, forced to resign. This is far and away a much worse situation. And Merrick Garland has to recognize that. At some point, he has to come out and press charges against some of these people, including Donald Trump. 
Now, I want you to keep in mind something else. Some people think the January 6th investigation is the whole enchilada. It's not. What we find out about the January 6th insurrection is going to have a big impact on this country. People are going to be indicted, people are going to go on trial, and people are going to be convicted. Just like in the Richard Nixon days. His chief of staff went to jail, remember? Ehrlichman? Yeah, he went to fucking jail. Nixon didn't, but the chief of staff did. So it's not unprecedented that somebody like Mark Meadows ends up in fucking jail. And he might very well end up in jail, not just for criminal contempt, but for the bullshit going on during the insurrection. We got all this text. We saw what he was saying. We saw what he was receiving. He was part of this mess. This is going to be interesting over the next six to eight months because things are going to happen in Washington, D.C., in Congress, and in the DOJ that will be unprecedented, that will be historical. So watch very closely if you're young or you know young people. Have them watch this because this will be things that will affect the rest of time in our country, just like Watergate did. You'll want to watch this closely. You'll want to want to know history because what do they say? If you don't know history, you're doomed to repeat it. And the fact of the matter is we can't afford to have something like this repeated. I don't know if this country can survive another insurrection. I can't say that it won't be successful next time. So now is the time we've got to, um, who, who's that guy on TV that used to always say this? Got to nip it in the bud. <laughs> got to nip it in the bud. Who was that? I can't remember. Uh, but anyway, that's what they've got to do. And that's where Merrick Garland is on this. And don't think he doesn't know this. Don't think he's just being a wimp. He's not a wimp. He's just extremely cautious and extremely principled. And he, he knows how the system runs. What he has to come to realize is the system has always run like this. But the system has never seen anything like this before. So these are extraordinary times, and it calls for extraordinary actions from our attorney general. I just hope he's up for it, because it could be trouble for this country if he does. All right, let's wrap it up for another Rational Boomer podcast. want to thank you for spending time with me. Questions, comments, complaints, by all means, email me at rationalboomer at gmail.com or go to anchor.fm, look for the Rational Boomer podcast, leave a voicemail. All right, I hope you have a great Christmas. I may even be back tomorrow on Christmas Day. I don't know who's going to listen to it, but if I'm sitting here on late Christmas Eve and uh, into Christmas Day, I may do another podcast just for the hell of it, because there'll be other things to talk about. You have a great day, a great Christmas, whatever holiday you uh, you celebrate. I hope it's a wonderful day for you. If you don't so- celebrate a holiday, still get together with your family and friends. That's always a good thing to do. We'll talk to you again real soon. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time. Next time.